You're listening to part two of Flourish Inc.'s podcast on setting effective goals in the new year. In part one, you wrote down your accomplishments, learning, and gratitude this past year. And in part two, we'll cover the five pitfalls people make when setting goals and proven steps to getting your goals met next year. If you haven't done so already, visit www.amelia.com forward slash goals.html for a free copy of your successful goal form. While you're there, sign up for a free newsletter on tips based on scientific research for improving your happiness. Congratulations on taking the critical steps to improving your well-being and enjoy part two. Another thing you can add on in a separate section is unfinished business. Okay, there's things that still need to be done in 2008 or there's people who you want to make amends. That kind of stuff tends to hinder us going forward in 2009 to just sort of say, I'm going to start off with a clean slate and just do whatever comes to mind. So also if you'd like to take the negative events, because we were talking about negativity bias, things that didn't work in your life in 2008, perhaps you had a really rough year. A lot of things didn't go the way that you expected them to. And you can write them in the form of, I've learned. I'm grateful that I've learned this. So it's really hard to take those negative events that have happened in your life and say that they happened for a reason, but... If you are so compelled to write a list of all the crappy things that happened in 2008, just take a moment to reflect, well, what is at least one thing that you've learned from that event? And write that on your list of accomplishments, too. And we'll take another five minutes, and then we'll start to share that. And then you said things that, need, you need to, that are still looming before that didn't necessarily happen yeah. this year. So there's like the... If something's still going but you're grateful for it, or, I mean, I'm sorry. Just unfinished business. So, for example, um, if I were to make my list of things I want to do in 2009, I still haven't finished my website. I still have contracts that need to be sent. So, you know, there's, there's, this, there's this baggage that I'm holding on to for 2008. So we don't want to just completely dismiss that grain of truth and say, oh, yeah, such a great year, you know, I'm ready to move on, start a clean slate. So you still want to sort of evaluate what things you still want to get done. Great question. Any other questions about the process? All right, awesome. We'll take a number of minutes to do that. What was the experience like? I think it's just much stronger reinforcement when you, when you take from the thinking to the actual behavior, the right, and then to actually articulate it. It, makes, it seems to me, for myself, it's a, it takes more processing to really become clear about it and then to take more ownership of it in doing that. Yeah. So you're able to take ownership of the process when you actually take the time to write it down and then sharing it with someone else. Any other feedback? Well, I think just kind of doing this reflective exercise helped me um, put the whole year into perspective. And even though, like for me, the last couple of months has been kind of crappy, it just helped me have a bit more perspective and recognize that this is probably, like, I'm probably going through a transition now, so it's, it's probably supposed to be a little bit crappy. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of putting the whole year into perspective, what we call, rather than making a mountain out of a molehill, just sort of saying, okay, this is just things happen and this is what I'm going through. But overall, the year has been pretty good. We call this peak end theory in positive psychology, that we have this tendency to remember the peak of something and the end of something. So if you had a 10-day vacation and the first seven days were fabulous and the last three days really 
stunk, you're less likely to remember all the good stuff because what sticks in our mind, what we actually encode our mind with, is important for what we then recall afterwards. They also did the study with colonoscopies. So men should go for routine colonoscopies, and they're not particularly pleasurable. I've never had one, but that's not something that people tend to remember their appointments for every single month when they should go. They found that they extended the colonoscopy, made the end of it a little bit more pleasant, even though it took longer, the procedure itself was longer, the people were more likely to come back next year for their next appointment. Why? Because it got ingrained in their memory as not being that bad. So the way that we remember things is important. So the same thing as this year-end point where, yeah, maybe the last couple of months weren't so great, but there's been a whole year. There's been a whole lot of things that you did. Great. Any other feedback? Sorry. The three of us were sharing, and how many times... It inspired one of us to say, oh, I need to add that to our Great, yeah. So broaden and build is one of the main components to positive emotions. So when you can get in that positive state, when you're feeling more positive emotions, you tend to broaden your social resources. You tend to connect more with people. And there is this upward spiral of when good news starts to be shared. One idea leads to another. When you're feeling positive emotions, you're more, li more likely to be creative. You're more likely to think outside the box, which you had a beautiful example of which there is you cultivated enough positive emotion going on amongst you that you were able to build more than you had when you began. One of the great things of getting together with a group of people who feel passionately about something, you usually get that energy rising. Great. This exercise helped me uh, get from the background some things that uh, I would forget about, because if I remember about the good things that happened, things from foreground come to mind. But as I write them down, it gives me, I remember those smallest things that I forget, but they're still significant. Great. I just, um, as I was writing, I kind of realized how full my life is right now. I mean, like, you know, you live in the moment, but then you start thinking about it, like, all the different, I mean, I could go off on tangents and I could write it, like, and that's good. It's good to, you know, you can say I met a bunch of people, but if you actually then start thinking about that person, I and mean, even the little things, you know, that I'm here today and I'm healthy. Yeah. I still have a roof over my head. Great. Yeah, um, I was sharing with Lewis that sometimes I have a tendency to go over some things people said to me that I don't like. But this year, um, somebody who's pretty high up there said some really nice things to me. And I really have tried to imprint that on my brain and just relive it over and over and over to train myself to think of that rather than mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. So one thing that I highlighted, which I think is huge, many people, not, a, not pointing any fingers, I personally know myself, have a hard time receiving compliments. We blow them off. We have this perception that if we, if we stop being so hard on ourselves and always criticizing ourselves, that we're going to become lazy and stop trying to move forward, perhaps, or this need to, to beat up on ourselves for some reason. So when someone gives you a compliment... How often do you actually fully absorb the compliment? I just met with one of my good friends, Nadia, and she was giving me feedback, and my tendency was, even despite how much I try to accent the positive, was to just sort of blow it off. So I actually sat there, everything uncrossed in my body, palms up, looked her straight in the eyes, and I asked her to repeat what she had just said to me. And I forced myself for all that time to not mind chatter, not disregard it, not just say, she's just saying that because she's my friend, and actually fully hear it. 
And it sounds maybe a bit trivial, but it's actually pretty powerful, especially with those sort of things. Someone gives you feedback, someone gives you a compliment, we just tend to all oh, blow those off. Or we're, we're empty, we're, we're searching for compliments, we're fishing for compliments as though they're going to get us somewhere, but we never really internalize them. So really being able to hear and savor and be present with those positive things. Great. Beautiful. Any other last-minute thoughts as we move on to 2009? The value of actually doing it. And keep writing. Keep adding on. What worked? Make this a practice because, again, we live in a world that's prone to the negative. People call us and they want to complain about what's not working. And part of the movement of happiness clubs, of positive psychology, is to increase the tonage of happiness in the world. And we do that by focusing more on the positive. So, goals. Moving forward, what's the, what's the benefit? What's the value? Why do people set goals? What is a goal? What is a goal? A goal is just something you want. Something A goal is something you want to accomplish or you want to experience. Having a timeline attached to a goal would make it a little bit more effective. But if we just talk about what is a goal, and, and we'll talk about what makes what research has shown to be more effective goals as opposed to non-effective goals. But essentially a goal is it's something you set the intention of here's what I want, and here's how I'm going to achieve it, or here's what I want to achieve, and I'm going to take concrete action steps towards it. A, a business model of looking at a goal is, here's what I want to achieve, here's how I'm going to do it, and here's what, how I'm going to reward myself when I actually get it done. There's more, there's more to it than that, but that can just be a simple way of describing what is a goal. And the reason that we perhaps want to set goals is we obviously want to do things. We all have aspirations. We all have passions. If, if you never set a goal, some things we do on autopilot, but you know, maybe you wouldn't get up in the morning and brush your teeth. Your goal is to get your day started. A powerful component to goal setting and actually meeting your goals is that it builds self-efficacy. It builds the belief in your ability to get things done and get your goals met. So self-efficacy, which is a little bit different than self-esteem. Self-esteem is, I can do it. Okay, that's good, but self-esteem is just one component to self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is your belief in your ability to get things done in your life, to get things accomplished to life. And we know that self-efficacy is almost, it's an immunity. It's an, it's an immunity booster to depression. To, it's something that enables you to feel more happiness in your life. It's, for example, um, say you set the goal to start going to the gym two, three days a week. Depression is the belief that nothing you do matters. The depression is the belief that no matter what I do, no matter how many times I, I try to get out there and change something, you know, I, have no, I have no effect of my reality. That's one component to what depression is. It's very hard to keep that belief when things you are doing start working for you. Like I'm getting to the gym two, three days a week and all of a sudden I'm noticing physical changes in my body. Or I've decided, you know, I, I've set a goal to read a book and I'm getting deeper in the book. When you have the physical reminder, the proof, look, you're doing things, it's like a counter. It builds that self-efficacy. Self so there's no better way to increase your happiness, to increase your belief in yourself, no better way to increase your self-esteem than to actually start doing things, to actually start getting things done. Does that make sense? Great. So... Let's talk about goals. So I promised you all that I would share with you five reasons why New Year's resolutions fail. And I'll just go through them really quick and then we'll take a little deeper look. So reason number one, a resolution isn't a goal. We talked about that before. Just resolving or just making the decision, here's what I want. I'm going to lose weight. 2009, Woohoo! January 1st, I'm going to lose weight. That's what I want. That's my New Year's resolution. 
very different from a goal of I'm going to lose 10 pounds by March 5th, 2009, and I will do that through A, B, and C. Very different. So resolutions aren't enough. Less effective way to set goals is to set goals that are not challenging enough and not specific enough. That's contrary to the way that people would understand goal setting. You would think like, okay, well, don't make it too challenging because we want that mastery experience. We want to be able to get something done. But we'll actually look at the fact that if it actually, if it's not challenging enough, it's not specific enough, it can actually do you more harm. So five things. Number one, we talked about resolutions on a goal. Not challenging and specific enough. So if my goal was, um, they, they look at goals, there's low goals, which is not specific enough. Then there's no goals, not setting a goal at all. And what they find is that setting low goals is just slightly more beneficial than no goals at all as opposed to high goals, which are your stretch goals, stuff that make you work a little bit harder. Those kind of goals are what really will build more self-efficacy. So say I set a goal, and this actually comes out of Caroline's book. My goal is to knit, to learn how to knit, knit two sweaters by the next holiday season. That, that, that might be a stretch goal. That's challenging for me, for someone who doesn't know how to knit right now. A low goal would be, I'm going to go online and I'm going to Google knitting patterns. Okay, so I met my goal. Whoop-de-doo. Good job. Pat on the back. That's like when you write your to-do list. We know writing to-do lists are a really effective way to get things done. But the people that write their to-do list and then write something they've already done so they can scratch it off. Yeah, you know you've done that before, right? So, so that's essentially what sort of low goals can do moving forward into 2009 is to make a list of things that you like, would like to happen and then set at least one to two stretch goals. So a goal that would make you work a little bit. Not just I'm going to Google and look up such and such. Not just I'm going to make three more phone calls. Maybe I'm going to make three more phone calls a day every day for the next three months. That's a stretch goal. So something that's going to challenge you. It's going to make you step out of your limit because Say this is your comfort zone, this is like everything within this circle is what you feel comfortable doing. The minute you stretch yourself past that comfort zone, you take yourself that much higher, your whole comfort zone expands. Where do you feel comfortable executing your skills, wherever that might be? The minute he stretches himself and he takes on a whole new level, everything rises. So challenging goals, something that makes you work a little bit, not just simple stuff. Because simple stuff is what keeps you plateauing. But we really want to start working towards mastery, feeling like, wow, I'm doing things in my life. I feel like I'm awake. I'm awake at the wheel. Specific, not specific enough. So if my goal was to just like, okay, I'm going to be happier in 2009. What does that mean? I'm just going to be happier. Well, what does it mean? What does it mean to me? How do we measure that? How do we measure happiness? How do we figure out where you're at today and then be able to look back a year from now and say, did you achieve your goal? So your goal, your stretch goal, in addition to all your goals, should be something that is specific enough for us to be able to look back, be back here, which I will encourage you to do in December 2009's Happiness Club meeting, and say, did you meet your goals? Did you make it happen? So it has to be specific. Don't make it too vague. 
Making goals vague is a cop-out. So if I just say, okay, my goal is to become happier this year. Oh I, oh, I reached it. Or, oh, no, I didn't. That's a lot easier to say than my goal is to increase my happiness by building more social relationships in my life. So in order to do that, i got to get out of my comfort zone and start going to more meetups. Or my goal is to get closer with my family this year. That's a specific goal. My goal is to spend more time with my family or whatever it might be. If the, the belief that setting a vague goal just makes it really easy to say, oh, ah, didn't work. Yeah, might as well, uh, might as well not try next time. It makes it really easy to just cop out. So I encourage you to take that specific goal. People are afraid to say, I'm going to make $30,000 more this year. That is my goal. There's more anxiety with that than to just say, I'm going to make more money this year. But it's that specificity that's going to be the measure of whether or not you're getting there. It's that specificity that's going to motivate you to actually get it done. People grossly overestimate what they can accomplish in a month. People set these novel goals. And part of it is not, not our fault. We live in a world where we're bombarded by commercials and ads and tighter abs in 30 days or your money back. And, and there's like all of this this jumping out at you that makes it seem like it should be so quick to make change happen. And if you haven't made that change happen, then you're, something's wrong with you. Why, why don't you have the abs of steel of that person that's up on the screen? But that's not the way that change works. Change is little drops in the bucket over time. So people grossly overestimate what they can do in a, in a month, but grossly underestimate what they can do in a year. Just look back a year from now where you were and how much you can actually accomplish. So the same understanding. So taking a big goal and actually chunking it down. So what, what some people do is they take a big goal and they set it for themselves and the goal is to get it done in a year. Like I remember a year ago, I had set a goal to be working with at least 10 clients a week in addition to the other things I was doing, speaking and so on. I had wanted to get that done in three months. Didn't happen in three months. I grossly overestimated my ability to take on 10 new clients in, in just that short period of time. 12 months later, I'm looking back and go, yes, I finally got that. 10 new clients. It took me longer than I anticipated. I'm still grateful that it happened. So the idea that we tend to just throw out these big goals and not chunk them down. So low goals, we have high goal. That's the big old thing that we're going to be working on. And then you chunk it down and create low goals to support that high goal, little milestones. And so you have the big thing. You have the vision. Who knows? Your big thing might be your mission statement about why you're here on the planet. So every single thing that you do is going to be supporting that, whatever your goal might be. The idea is make it specific. Don't be afraid to make it specific. If you fail, you can't fail so long as you take it as I'm a fail. I, I've, I've made a failure. I failed in this particular thing. It's not I'm a failure. So stretch yourself. Try it out. See what happens. The other thing is that people tend to set avoidance goals as opposed to approach goals. So everybody in the room, do not think of a pink elephant. Stop it. Don't think of the elephant. Don't think about how big its trunk is, how long its ears are. Don't think about how fuzzy it is. Don't see someone riding the elephant. Stop it. I know you're all seeing it in your mind's eye unless you're not listening to me because you're completely tuning me out. It takes mental energy to not think about something. To avoid the negative, it takes a lot more work than to work towards the positive. That makes sense? So goals that work away from something, like my goal is not to be the worst salesperson 
in my firm this year. I mean, no one's setting that kind of goal, but sometimes that's when you make it too vague, that's just sort of with just like, all right, whatever, I just don't want to be the worst. It actually takes more energy to work to avoid that the kind of goals that make you want to approach something. So if my goal is not to gain weight, that's going to take more energy, physical, mental energy, than if my goal were to become healthier, something I'd want to approach. Another way to set powerful approach goals is to set, to set the kind of goals that you just naturally want to approach, that bring you alive, that make you excited, make you really excited about the process. If you're writing a goal that you're not excited about the process, reword it. I've also heard it stated several times that the universe doesn't hear the word not. That, you know, your mind, if you say, well, I don't want this, your mind only hears, I want this. Mm -hmm. So the concept that Sam's referring to is that if, if you wanted to take a more spiritual approach to this, an energetic approach, what you'd be looking at is that the universe works in feelings and pictures. It doesn't work in words. So the words, I don't want a husband that beats me, what is the image you get in your mind? You get an image of a husband beating a wife. It's the images that get fixated. It's the emotion that comes into it that affects it. And also, so even if just to talk about the pictures in our mind affect how we set the ways to make it happen. Yep. How can you avoid those thinking? The, the, um, something is going wrong and you don't want to think about it. You don't want to think about think offense. So that you don't get drained out, your energy doesn't get drained out. How can you avoid? Is it any easy stuff to do it, or it takes a lot of work to get it done? It takes decades to actually be able to do that kind of stuff. So don't bother trying. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. Great point. The most important point to all of that, that's a whole other seminar that we've done, If you, the past ones where we've looked at about our mind chatter, and we'll obviously keep circulating back to it because the thoughts in your mind essentially affect the way you create your reality. So I, I don't want to belittle the process because it's an intense process through the University of Pennsylvania where Lewis and I are both trained from. We do a whole curriculum in how to think more optimistically, think more resiliently, how to challenge your mind chatter. But at the very least, the most important part is just to begin to catch the thought. Ask yourself, is this thought serving me? If the thought isn't serving you, then choose another thought. It's very hard to do that when you're freaking out about things. So taking a few deep breaths to get yourself into a focused state of mind. Because essentially that ruminating thought process is the emotional part of our brain. It's the amygdala. It's not the part of us that's reasoning. So when we're really caught up in all the worst things that's going to happen, it's really hard to just sit there and like write your list, right? You got to calm yourself down first from all of that. So engaging in a process that would enable you to do that. So I can answer your question further at, at another point if you want to come up to me afterwards or I would offer you a, um, a complimentary coaching session where we can talk about that a little bit more detailed because it's, it's a whole ballgame in itself. Rather than even just saying to me, I want to stop having all those thoughts, what would you rather have? What would you like your thinking to be like? So it's, I'm limitedly for positive thinking. I love it. I think it's a fabulous approach. But if you're just dismissing any grain of truth to the stuff that's sort of eating away, it's going to keep knocking at your door. So you can begin to introduce those positive thoughts, hence my new book that's coming out hopefully by the end of 2009. And I, I put that out there so you can all hold me accountable to it. I'm going to have it come out in 2009 is the missing secret to the secret that positive thinking and just telling yourself all this stuff isn't enough. You do actually have to do something with that negative thought pattern. But what would you prefer your thought process to be like? And when you're not being stressed out, 
when your, your boss isn't banging on your door, sending you emails saying, where is this work? Actually taking the time, that's a great time to train yourself to bring the positive in. We'll get to other things about how to, how to meet the goals, but what you're getting at is a powerful thing, is that the, the thoughts going on in your mind are critical. The thoughts in our mind are how, are how we create our own reality. And when you begin to recognize that you've created your own reality, if it's not serving you, the good news is, is that you could create a better one. Biggest message I can say is your thoughts aren't real. Your thoughts are your thoughts. So rather than setting avoidance goals, set approach goals. Set, a, set goals that make you excited about the process, that help you come alive. But many people, the reason that they fail their New Year's resolutions is that they don't write it down. Writing it down is a powerful, powerful process. There, it, it brings it all to life. It makes it more concrete. When you can look down in it and you can see it, you can make it happen more. The benefits of visualizing it, of writing it down, is that the minute you write it down, the minute you make it official, your brain automatically starts to work at ways to make it happen. So your brain's going to start. Your, your brain's going to start thinking about resources you already have in your environment that make it happen. We call it pathways. So both visualization and writing it down enables you to find those pathways a little bit easier. Our brain is wired to be able to do that. That's why I can sit at home and know and, and write down my list of to-dos. I have to go to the bank. I have to go to the bookstore. I need to do this, this, and that. The minute I start to write my list, my brain starts to go, oh, well, this bank is located by this health food store, and I can actually get this done faster. Has anyone ever resonated with that, that like those little aha moments where you're able to be much more effective? Our brain is designed to be able to do that, and the same thing happens when we write down our goals. When we write down the things that we want to have happen, our brain is going to start working on ways to make that hop happen. Hence, you'll be able to see those opportunities a little bit better. They did a study with college students, and they had college students write down a contract to themselves. They didn't even give the contract to someone else. They wrote down a contract to do their work and, and, and do their studying compared to a group of students that didn't write a contract to themselves, make a commitment to themselves to get that done. And what do you know? The people who wrote a contract, just writing it down, writing that goal down. I am committed to studying and rereading my notes every week. We're more likely to get higher grades in the class than those who didn't. So actually holding yourself accountable to it is an important thing. And then, of course, the last part is accountability. So for the most part, when people set New Year's resolutions, they just throw them out in the abyss or they tell it to themselves. I mean, it's a good reason to not tell it to anyone else because then you don't have someone knocking at your door. You're getting it done. I work with a personal trainer. I adore her. Four days a week, I have to do my cardio. 30 to 45 minutes a day, she checks in on me if I don't. I get really excited to be able to send her a text message just leaving the gym. That's an accountability partner. A life coach, someone that supports you on that. A friend that's also setting a goal. Not, not the energy suckers that we referred to at the beginning, but someone who is also working on a goal. A really powerful way to be able to get that to happen. Someone who actually holds you accountable. That's one of the strengths of the coaching dynamic. And another thing with accountability is you can use that for immediate feedback. We know that the kind of goals that enable you to have immediate feedback for what you want to have accomplished, like, like Google, you know, I want to look such and such up. You type in a few things, you make it happen. Oh, I found it. No, I haven't. So once we take that big goal and we break it down to smaller goals, being able to have feedback or get really excited about it or rejoice about it right after it happens 
is really powerful. So December 22nd, we know we're reflecting on things that happened in February. Okay, we're still capitalizing on them, but, you, but the ability to really celebrate them in the beginning or have someone to hold you accountable for it, it's going to have a lot more energy to it than the other way around. So what we're going to do for the next couple of minutes is I want you to make a list, just a quick list of things that you, we're not even going to call them goals yet, just things you'd love to have happen in 2009. Here's what I would want. Great, now you're all set to write down your goals for the upcoming year. Remember to ask yourself, what do I want? Who do I want to be? and write down as many things as you can, one after another. Then, think about a stretch goal. Some call it the BHAG, which stands for Big, Hairy, Audacious Goal. Something that makes you step out of your comfort zone, but you really want to achieve. Keep going till you can't think of anything else, and then proceed to part three.